Hello and welcome to the menu, Monocle Radio's food and drink program. I am Markus Hippi. In the next 30 minutes, we head to New York's Lower East Side to visit one of the world's best cocktail bars, Attaboy. Then here in the UK we discover a collaboration that brings craft beer and literature together. You know, we put out 5,000 cans uh, every week of our beer and it's just this amazing format to share writing and we just thought why not turn our beer cans into a publishing tool. We'll also meet one of Germany's top cocktail gurus and get the week's headlines too. All that here on the menu on Monocle Radio. Over a decade ago, Melbourne-born Sam Ross and Michael McElroy from Belfast were attending the bar at the Speakeasy Pioneer Milk and Honey in New York. Eventually, the pair bought the bar, renamed it Attaboy and invented many cocktails that have become staples of menus up and down the US. A decade on, they have built a group of award-winning drinking and dining destinations in New York and Nashville, Tennessee and are about to embark on a global tour with pop-ups around the world. They spoke to Monaco's US editor, Chris Lord. You know, me and Michael both got to New York at the age of 21 and we found uh, a gentleman by the name of Sasha Petrowski who was running Milk and Honey. And that was right here in this room, 134 Eldridge. Uh, we convinced him to hire us. Uh, we didn't know each other at the time either, me and Michael, that is. He hoped that we got along because as I quote him, he's like, You guys better get along because you're going to be spending a lot of time together. That was very prophetic, wasn't it? He knew, maybe he saw what was going down the line. It made it easier for him, you know. If we didn't like each other, that was going to make his life a, a lot more difficult. And yeah, you know, me and Michael were running Milk and Honey here for eight years, till about 2012, and we were always planning what we would do if we took over the space ourselves. We're in no rush. You know, there was talk that Sasha wanted to move uh, Milk and Honey to 23rd Street, a bigger space, start fresh. Um, and with that came the obvious question from us, well, what are you going to do with the space on Eldridge Street? And he was open to, uh, to selling it to us. What year was that then, Sam? So, I mean, he probably agreed to it in 2011, but it didn't become a reality until we opened the doors March 2013. Now, it's a great story of entrepreneurship, of founding something, taking over and running it yourselves, two people setting out on their own. I wonder, when you look around the landscape now, the industry, in the US especially, do you think that's still on the horizon for people now, two people coming out as bartenders and going out on their own? Is it still, is it still possible to do that in a place like New York City? I hope so. And, and I, you know, I'd like to this mine and Michael's story to be a little bit of an inspiration to young bartenders that yes while this industry is really fun and you should enjoy every single minute of it there is a really strong future and, and if you know if you sock away your tips like we did from under our mattress for many years you know there is an opportunity to you know instead of instead of trying to open something with heavy investment in which you're really you know you have a small percentage and all the investors have to get paid off first starting small keeping it to yourself as much as possible and then expanding out there based upon your success. In front of us has just been placed a round of, I guess, Sam, your, your signature drink, I would say, really. Yeah, <laughs> cheers, by the way. Yeah, cheers, cheers to that. 
tell me a little bit about this drink because I go out in Los Angeles and I'll see a penicillin on every menu. I can go to Asheville or Nashville or I can go to Dallas and I will find the penicillin. First of all, tell me how this signature drink came to be. Well, it was the milk and honey days and um, it was 2005 and Compass Box, John Glazer from Compass Box Whiskies had just dropped us off a, uh, a, a, a selection of his new whiskies that he was just uh, releasing into the US. And we were playing around with them. We, you know, we're very happy to have our hands on a bunch of really cool whiskies. And John Glazer, big Mets fan as well, so we um, we hit it off immediately. Uh, yeah, don't be fooled by the accent, big big Mets guy. I should say there's a Mets hat on your head, isn't there? There is very much so. This is a Mets bar. <laughs> so I was playing around with like a whiskey sour format um, in the style of a Gold Rush, which is a famous milk and honey drink, um, which is really simple bourbon, lemon, and honey. Uh, I, I subbed out the bourbon for the Asyla, which was a nice mellow blend, and I split the honey down with some fresh ginger juice that we sweetened to act as the spice and, and the sweetener. And it was great. The result was great, but it wasn't quite finished, and I reached for this bottle of uh, Compass Box Peat Monster, which still to this day might be one of my favorite whiskeys of all time, and I just threw a splash of the Peat Monster down on top of that big, big rock of ice that you see in your drink in front of you. And, you know, it just it seemed to work. But it, honestly, it wasn't until eight or nine months later that it caught on a little bit. And one of, the, uh, one of our servers uh, at, at Little Branch said something about, like, she was sort of brainstorming about a ticket for customers. Uh, and she was like, well, everyone needs to have... I'm going to put a penicillin on the table. Everyone needs to try this drink. And it wasn't until she said that I was like, huh. All right. But tell me about the name because it, it, for a lot of people it does mean it does have a medicinal quality, doesn't it? It's yeah. a bit of a it's a bit of a hair of the dog drink, isn't it? For sure, you know, it's 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 got all those things that that are going to make you feel better. Like those placebo medicinal uh, qualities, right? Like the fresh ginger, the fresh honey, fresh lemon, that scotch. Um, and it was sort of yeah, cure what ails you. I think the the inspiration for the name was more of like the chicken noodle soup, like you know that the just that medicinal kitchen healing sort of a quality right there. I should say it doesn't taste like chicken noodle soup, it though. <laughs> it goes great with chicken noodle soup, though. I was the first person um, who actually had a penicillin, so that's my claim to fame. You were the first one to, yeah. to drink one. That's amazing. And what did you think at the time? I was like, it's a modern classic. I, I'm pretty sure I said that right away, because there wasn't anything like this, you know, at least I never tried anything. No one was playing around with good scotch at the time as well. And there was still this, just this overall, you know, and I think it's predominantly American um, theory that good scotch should be untouched. You know, no water, no ice, nothing like, certainly not in cocktails. Whereas, you know, John back in 2005 and even before that when he was with uh, Johnny Walker, it's like, it's your whiskey, drink it however you want to drink it. You're embarking now on a very interesting thing, which is a, a sort of world tour, isn't it? You're taking your concepts out of America, also lots of cities in America. You're going to Paris, you're going to Los Angeles as well, to London. Talk me through a bit about that, Sam. And also, I wonder what the next few years look like for the group, for Attaboy Group. Yeah, so th really exciting. We, we came up with this idea to celebrate our 10-year anniversary to do a 10 for 10 tour over the next 12 months, uh, in which we go to 10 cities, uh, in the US and around the world um, and do a seminar for the industry uh, and then we do a, a pop-up takeover sort of bit of a party style attaboy night at you know at one of the bars in that city and um, so part educational we also want to bring the brand to some some 
cities and countries that, that maybe they haven't, you know, had as much access to some of these American bars and, you know, that lineage. You know, we really want to teach that lineage of where we are today as a cocktail scene is tremendous. Took a while to get there. And, uh, you know, we were part of those early days of telling people that, you know, we, we didn't want to serve vodka and we, we don't have cranberry juice and we're not making Long Island iced teas. Now, I know everything's cyclical, fashion, drinks, food, everything like that. And some of these drinks are having their moments again. But it really was the fact that we had to win this battle uh, before we, we got to this, this point where people are very knowledgeable about cocktails now. So we, we start in L.A. Um, in the middle of May. And then it, we're coming back to New York each time. We're not going to be on the road the entire time. But we're going to cool cities like London, Berlin. We're going to be in Mumbai. We're going to be in Singapore. We're going to be in my hometown, Melbourne. Uh, we're going to San Juan, uh, Puerto Rico, which is really exciting for us. Colombia, Miami, and Austin in the U.S. as well. So. And so it's really about telling that story of not just your brand, but also a bit the sort of growth and development of cocktails and appreciation for that in the US and, and taking that around the world really and sort of explaining that to people, is that right? Yeah, exactly. You know, we byproducts of our amazing mentor and first boss, Sasha Petrasky, and we've continued this, hope to think that we've been continuing this legacy um, in a way that he'd be proud and just, again, just tracing a, tracing a bit of that lineage for people and letting them know how this came about because bartenders hospitality workers like they're, they're going to be ones that are going to be pushing this on to their customers their future uh, co-workers they open spots their employees they will again be sort of talking about where all this came from it's a Sam Ross and Michael McElroy of Attaboy talking to our USA reserve Greece Lord you are with the menu on Monocle Radio Now, if you ever find yourself enjoying a craft beer but missing a side of reading material, an innovative new collaboration has got you covered. Here in the UK, the Sussex-based microcraft Beak Brewery has launched Book with the publishing house Faber. The project will showcase five-minute extracts of literature from Britain's best writers on the side of the Beak Brewery's cans. The first in the series features an extract from Max Porter's best-selling novel, Shy. Monocle's Sophie Monahan-Coombs caught up with Beak Brewery founder Danny Tapper and Faber's marketing director Katie to find out more, here is Danny describing the brand. So I have had a little bit of a convoluted uh, journey to becoming a brewer. So uh, previously I was a, actually a food and drink journalist for almost 10 years. And after doing that, yeah, for almost a decade, I just wanted to be the person making the food as opposed to writing about it. Um, so I started home brewing. Eventually that homebrew project got a little bit out of control and I started taking my recipes to uh, larger breweries and essentially borrowing their kits. So in the craft beer world they call it nomadic brewing and it's essentially for people who can't afford their own brewery currently but you just go and borrow someone else's kit. So um, yeah, I learnt the trade by working it nomadically and then three years ago I made the leap to setting up a bricks and mortar brewery in Lewis. Our beer is a little bit different to kind of the stuff you might find in supermarkets so it's relatively expensive because we use a lot of hops so a lot of kind of foggy juicy hop forward IPAs and then you know everything from pale ales through to 11% imperial stouts. And if there's one thing that ties the beers together, it's that most of them are designed for food pairing. 
And alongside food pairing, we also like to work with people outside of the brewing industry. So I think the brewing world can be quite insular and we've always wanted to kind of expand our interests into other areas. Tell me a little bit about how this collaboration came about. So I'm also really into reading and books and traditionally they're not two areas that have collided the beer world and and writing and we've just thought you know we put out 5,000 cans uh, every week of our beer and it's just this amazing format to share writing and we just thought why not turn our beer cans into a publishing tool essentially Uh, obviously a huge fan of Faber always have been just such an iconic publisher Uh, and Max Porter huge fan of Max Porter so I just thought you know why not reach out Uh, what's the worst they can say and amazingly yeah uh, Faber were really receptive to the idea. Katie maybe you could um, talk a little bit from Faber's perspective what was interesting for you about this proposal? Yeah sure I I mean from a brand point of view we're always really interested in doing interesting things with the Faber brand and interesting partnerships are, are always something that we're keen to explore we are one of the few publishers that does have a kind of brand recognition uh, penguin obviously very well known as a brand and, and faber does also through our history have a lot of people who kind of are interested in what we do beyond just publishing the books our story and, and who we are as a company so we're always interested to explore brand opportunities when danny came with this you could just see immediately i didn't know big personally but actually I've discovered over time that lots of Faber staff had visited the brewery or kind of come across the brewery. So you could see immediately that in terms of their design and their outlook, that that they felt like a really good fit with the Faber brand. And it was felt like quite an open conversation at the start. We were sort of, you know, it, it we were looking at which parts of the list it would possibly kind of work best with. And we started by thinking maybe Max Porter's, one of his earlier books, Griefers Thing with Feathers, might have been a good fit with it. And then actually, as we come closer to publication to his newest book, Shy, we realised that was the sort of perfect project to land on. And staying with you, Katie, I'm also a big Max Porter fan and I loved Shy. Could you talk a little bit about what the book is about for those who haven't read it and maybe why it felt like such a good fit for this project? Because for me, it was quite a surprising surprising one, but um, I'd love to hear more about how you think it works. Sure. So, I mean, this is the fourth book we've published with Max and his kind of third big major novel. His first book, Grief is Thin with Feathers, which is was like a real breakout book, hugely loved by lots of readers, has been adapted for stage and is being adapted for screen and just a really kind of wonderful literary book. His kind of books have evolved in terms of tone. His second book, Lanny, was a, quite a gentle kind of book set in the country about a young boy who goes missing and then Shy is, we felt it was the kind of character is moving up into a teenage space. We wanted to approach the book in a sort of more disruptive way, which feels like the sort of reading experience of this book, Grief and Lanny kind of had quite a gentle sort of design approach and a sort of tone to the books. Whereas this book, we felt from the start, we wanted to make feel bolder, more disruptive, kind of reflect the reading experience of Shy, who is this kind of troubled teenager struggling with life. And we kind of wanted to bring that into the into the campaign as much as possible. So we drew on a lot of the 90s references in the book and psychedelia. And, you know, Max does such a brilliant job of kind of portraying this teenage boy's experience that beer, you know, it felt like a good way to signal this this slightly more, as I say, sort of disruptive, slightly more uh, adult kind of perspective that's coming through in the novel. Max's writing is is experimental and 
the the idea of being able to get into it via an extract rather than it all just being about you know design and kind of aesthetic the fact that people were able to actually engage with the text of the book and also because Max Porter has a very often creative type layout in his books that it felt like there was a, a sort of something really interesting about choosing an extract where the text itself would be visually appealing within the label. Yeah it's written in quite a fragmented way which I guess works quite well for for this and Danny, what was the process like deciding on on the extract that you would use and also kind of designing it for the beer can? How was it different to that kind of normal process for you? Um, So in terms of the extracts, that was very much a collaborative process, um, mainly led by Faber. But, you know, from our perspective, we actually, there were a few issues that popped up to start with. I don't know how interested you are in these, but so, for example, you know, the themes that Max writes about uh, you know they're not controversial but they're hard they're difficult theme, uh, difficult themes for people to talk about quite often um, and when you start putting that in packaging there's actually quite a lot of issues in terms of with the uh, the advertising standards agency where they say you know you can't use swear words you can't so we had to be really careful about the extract we picked so it had to be an extract that was you know obviously a great reflection of max's work and re- really interesting to read but we also had to be very careful not to sort of include certain words and themes. Um, so that was quite difficult. But in terms of the the design was that, I found that really interesting. So we, we cha- our name is Beak, obviously, and we changed it to Book, but we only changed it slightly. So when you look at it on the shelf, I think you give it a second look thinking, oh, that's a Beak bit, but oh, why is this called Book? And hopefully <laughs> there's a nice little kind of peel and reveal corner to the label and then hopefully it entices people in to peel it back and see see what's there. But in terms of the actual the design, we, we very much um, kept it in the beak format, so quite minimalist. And then we commissioned our illustrator, he's called Jay Cover, um, to do an interpretation of Faber's book cover for Shy, which we were really happy with. And have you spoken to many people who've picked it up and uh, have you had much feedback from, from your customers? Yeah, well, interestingly, so uh, the beer Twitter scene isn't huge compared to Instagram. So beer is really big on Instagram, just frankly, because it's so visual. And it was really interesting when we released this and we just did one tweet about it and we had this whole new audience of the book Twitter people just really interested in what we're doing and resharing and commenting. Uh, since the beer's gone out, yeah, we've had a lot of good good feedback about the beer and the, the collaboration. I think people are kind of happy to see a brewery just going beyond the beer industry. It kind of feels like the project's gone full circle in terms of the brewery because the very first people we sold beer to when it was just me running it as a nomadic project was actually the staff at the Times Literary Supplement. Um, because I had friends there and I just used to sell my homebrew. And so I used to go and deliver boxes to the to the offices of the TLS, which was quite interesting. And so, you know, like five or six years later, and now we're actually, we've become an almost like publishing tool. It just feels right. Danny Tapper, founder of Beak Brewery there. And you can also hear from Faber's Katie Hall in that interview with Monocle's Sophie Monaghan-Coombs. Up next, the week's food and drink headlines. Here is Monocle's Monica Lillis. Vietnamese dragon fruit exporters are expected to have another difficult year as more countries look to grow the fruit. In the first two months of 2023, exports of the fruit fell to around 98 million euros, a 26.9% year-on-year decline. This follows a dramatic 39% decline in exports of the fruit in 2022. 
Vietnam used to account for almost all of global shipments in the past, but now many other countries, such as Mexico and India, are beginning to grow and export the fruit, leading to fierce competition. Winemakers in Provence are on red alert this week after hailstorms caught a trail of destruction across the region. Vineyards in Flasson, Gonferron, Leluc, Bandol and Vidoba were amongst the worst affected as hail pounded the vines for around half an hour. Estimates show the damage affected more than 90% of crops in the core hail corridor and neighbouring plots could face losses of around 20%. And scientists in Australia have submitted the country's first genetically modified fruit to regulators for approval. The Cavendish banana, known as QCAV-4, has been genetically altered to resist a deadly fungus that poses a serious threat to banana growers worldwide. If approved, the banana will become the world's first genetically modified fruit to be authorised for cultivation and consumption. Those are the week's food and drink headlines. Now back to Marcus. Thanks, Monica. You are with Monocle Radio. Before this week's dinner soundtrack recommendation, we have time to head for a cocktail in Berlin. Aunt Heisen is one of the capital's most creative bartenders. After an impressive career in some of Europe's finest establishments, he's now working as a bar manager at Frederick's Cocktail Bar, which is a new destination right by Potsdamer Platz. I spoke to Aunt about his approach on cocktails and how to create a perfect bar. The concept of the place is this used to be a hotel in 1906 and uh, we have basically taken the the history from uh, those times to the new times and uh, right now it has become like a living room of Berlin, you know, like uh, inspirations from all over the world, just like Berlin is and uh, small portions, sharing uh, uh, dishes and uh, fitting drinks according to the to the dishes. Now you are the bar manager over here and, and obviously there's a wide selection of drinks to choose from over here but what is original is that actually you have a very clever way of finding out what your customers may want. Tell me about this box we have next to us. Yeah basically 70% of what you eat and what you drink is what you smell. So we have a box of uh, senses and uh, of perfumes so you can choose your favorite drink by choosing your favorite perfume because mm-hmm. basically all of the drinks or the perfumes that you're wearing, um, the ingredients are edible. So if you Google your own perfume, you can see that uh, this would be your favorite drink. Let's see what we have over here. So I'm just going to pick one of these. So I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick this one. First of all, what am I smelling over here? That's Marfa Memo. Excellent choice. It's a mandarin. It's a yuzu, blood orange, ilang ilang. Ilang ilang is a blossom from uh, the rainforest of Puerto Rico, and uh, honey. So that will be a drink with the same ingredients, um, with tequila and uh, verjus. So it's a very nice, easy sipping drink. There's another perfume over here. So if I picked this as my favorite, what would it first of all reveal about me? And secondly, what kind of a drink would you make for me? So basically, um, we are working with uh, aromatherapy here. So that means uh, when a guest has chosen a perfume, we know how the guest feels like. So this one here is Paisley by Etro. It's a drink um, that, or a perfume that consists uh, the ingredients of uh, red currant, patchouli, bergamot, cardamom, and uh, verjus. So it's uh, like the, the green juice from grapes, which means that uh, the guest, he wants to always find out new things, authenticity, um, the guest wants to relax, and uh, the guest 
is uh, is very clean. You know, like it needs a very clean atmosphere. So, it's very what shall I drink? How do you feel? <laughs> If I pick this perfume, what would you think first of all? Yeah, that drink will be a drink with uh, wine and uh, rum, red currant nectar, honey, patchouli, bergamot, and uh, verjus. Amazing. You mentioned the word authenticity over there, and you also mentioned already that Berlin is a place that draws influences from around the world. What is authentic to Berlin? What is something that Berlin can claim as its own when it comes to cocktail bars, bars and drinks? First of all, I would say it's our humor, you know, because uh, some people find it Berliners are rude. I would say Berliners are very authentic and natural. And uh, also some people call it freedom. We call it Berliners don't give a fuck. So um, people not caring or just trying to sneak in a joke all the time. I think that's the authenticity of, uh, of Berlin. I always call it the, 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 the game of playing ping pong with people. You go somewhere, people, uh, they shoot something in your direction and you say, okay, this is interesting and I, um, I shoot something back. And uh, basically, if you do it the right way, you can uh, have jokes the whole night and uh, you know, laughing and uh, enjoying your life. Uh, that's the best thing you can have if you go out in a bar, right? How does Berlin compare at the moment to many other cities when you think about cocktail bars and what's happening in the industry? Obviously, you have international experience. You've been working in a number of countries. I would say that uh, in Berlin, um, you have, uh, you know, the Kneipe. I don't know how they translate that in English, but uh, Kneipe is like a very cozy, dark, we call them dark holes, basically. Um, places where you go to and uh, suddenly, oh, it's nine o'clock in the morning. You know, you go outside and then suddenly... Uh, Um, you see all, all of those cars and, uh, and, and, and dogs and uh, people running around. Um, you still have those places that uh, you can completely just uh, disappear, you know. And this coziness, this authenticity and, uh, you know, like places that you can still go to and uh, enjoy bar culture and not only, you know, like uh, stick to one uh, sigma, you know. So that's a thing which is uh, very much different, I would say, um, compared to a lot of big capitals because Berlin is not that completely, how would you say, like, not, we say we are poor but sexy. Mm-hmm. And that's how Berlin is still different from the rest of the world. What have you wanted to create with Frederick's Bar and how do you want to shape it? Let's talk about, you know, let's talk about the concept and let's also talk about what kind of people you want to get here. Basically, as you can see, there are a lot of colors here and uh, our menu, the written menu, is uh, all about colors as well. So in the lockdown, I've learned a lot about color psychology. So not only aromatherapy, but also color psychology. If you put them both together, you can find out when guests are choosing a drink, a picture, an illustration subconsciously, then you can also find out how the guest feels. Because basically, I would say all over the world, especially now, you can still make a difference with service. You know, you can have the best drink in the world. People will not come back if the service is bad. But if the service is authentic and uh, sometimes a really, really sweet drink, you know, if you, let's say, a Bailey's Old Fashioned can be the best drink um, a guest has ever had in their whole life. You know, maybe that guest doesn't want to have the perfect rye Manhattan. So we have to find out what kind of uh, drink does this guest want in that moment. Of course, we don't uh, serve Bailey's Old Fashioned, but... Uh, You know, like uh, um, we have to listen to our guests, and uh, but everybody has to be um, capable of finding out. So, if our menu through the colors, through the illustrations, and also the perfumes helps us to understand our guest, 
what they want. Then we can uh, understand the guest and then do the right service, what kind of direction the guest wants to go. Arndt Heysen, he's the bar manager at Frederick's Bar in Berlin. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. Remember that we are back with a new episode again on Friday at 2000 London time. That's at midday in Los Angeles. Also, remember our spin-off show Food Neighbourhoods, where we tour some of the world's tastiest destinations. And obviously you'll find many more reports on great hospitality from the brand's new edition of Monocle magazine. I am Markus Hippi. The programme was researched by Monica Lillis and our studio engineer was Kellen McLean. Once again, we finished this programme with a dinner soundtrack recommendation. Here is Nina Simone with Lilac Wine. Thanks for listening and until next week. Lilac Wine is sweet and heady like my love Lilac Wine